Hello and welcome to the Doxology Podcast. My name is Jens Nelson and with me today, as is usually the case, we have Lucas Stock. <laughs> this is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. We thank you for joining us. Uh, as always, we are exploring, discussing, and growing as followers of Christ. So Lucas, um, I don't know what it's like there in Massachusetts, but today it's like 80 something degrees and it is, it is pretty nice. Uh, how's it going over there? Nice. It's a, a little cooler than that. I think it's it's like in the 60s today. Uh, this weekend, like end of the week, it's just, so today's Sunday. So end of the week, Friday, Thursday, Friday. It was it was pretty hot up here. I think it was it was close to 80s um, earlier, but today it's a little cloudier. Oh, I shouldn't say cloudy. I think it's sunny, but it's um, not quite as hot as it as it has been the last few days. So nice. We're slowly inching well, our way towards summer. <laughs> there you go. Well, one of the reasons I was just a hair late to our uh, recording session here is I had to, I realized that my AC hasn't been working and I forget that with this car and it being, you know, from 2005 and stuff like that, that every once in a while I need to boost the AC with some uh, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, whatever. I, I used it last year too, but I was like with it being like 85 degrees tomorrow is supposed to be pretty similar and it's supposed to just be like high seventies that I needed to get a fix. So I had to run to the the auto part section of Walmart real quick. Um, nice. And nice. then, and then uh, I went to a Culver's to have some lunch. I didn't actually go to Culver. I picked up Culver's through their drive through. And uh, so, yeah, that's, that's been my morning so far. That sounds awesome. I, uh, I don't know about you, but I've been feeling the, uh, the pollen and it's so, you know, I apologize in advance for any sneezes or sniffles that makes it through. If I don't get to my, he has COVID-19. It's okay. It doesn't get passed through a microphone. <laughs> oh man um yeah that's been fun is just having constantly itchy eyes and i had that a couple weeks ago gigantic sneezes every like 10 (laughs) minutes (laughs) oh man there you go but that is just sort of a you know a wonderful i don't know what the word is maybe that's one of the thorns and thistles of of this beautiful creation we live in um which was a very well planned segue into wow. today's topic. So, what are we what wow. are we going to be talking about today, Mister Nelson? Well, we are going to be talking about creation, um, and perhaps we're going to be talking about it in a way that you do not expect. So, we hope that this is uh, informational, um, not just for your head, but for your heart as well, as you think about um, the God who created all things. And I think I think it's pretty fair to say that few sentences in the Bible are more loaded than Genesis one one, you know, right off the bat. I think we've mentioned it in a previous episode. Like it's it's setting the stage not only for like the rest of what's to come, not just in the Bible but human history, um, but to say in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That's a pretty loaded statement, and there's a lot that can be understood, gleaned, learned from just those verses. Um, But first and foremost, I mean, it tells us that God is the ultimate being, that in the beginning, God is the one who created the heavens and the earth. But what happened before the beginning, this ultimate being existed. He was, he just was there, which is sort of like a thought that we can't really comprehend as as humans. Um, And I mean, he exists independently of matter and time. So when nothing in in our understanding existed, and before time was a thing, God was. Um, secondly, everything that exists originates from God. Like so, when you open your eyes and look out into the world, there's nothing out there that did not exist um, 
you know, that God did not create. So think, think about how powerful this God is who created, uh, the planets, the, the, you know, the stars, our sun, the galaxies. Um, and thirdly, not only did he create all things, but he created them, you know, out of nothing. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There was nothing and suddenly was everything. Um, so this is sort of, you know, the topic we're going to be jumping into today on creation. Um, but again, as I mentioned, we're going to be talking about it maybe in a way that you do not expect. So, uh, what what uh, what do you have to say about this topic, Lucas? Yeah, I, I think that that's a really helpful um, sort of setting the stage to remember the, those things that we that we can we can sort of take just from that opening sentence of Genesis. Um, and what's what's important too is that you didn't you didn't touch on how long it took him. <laughs> you didn't touch on how he did it or how he didn't do it, and that is sort of what we're getting at when we're talking about having this discussion in a way that you might not expect. I I think that it's pretty common, pretty safe to say that when you hear somebody say that they're going to talk about creation or when you hear two people discussing creation, what, you know, I'm not going to make any, I don't know for sure. Um, you know, but maybe, you know, probably nine times out of 10, 95 times out of a hundred, someone's debating someone else about what what the word yom means in Hebrew or how long we're supposed to understand the first day was or whether or not it's possible for a Christian to, you know, see any room in that first chapter for some understanding of biological evolution. And those are not the discussions we're interested in having. Um, and we'll get into obviously why that is, but quite frankly, those are at times I would, I would go so far as to say they're irrelevant conversations. Um, and at best they are, I think secondary, maybe even tertiary conversations because that's not what Genesis one and two, but especially Genesis one, is about, right. I think. I, think I mean, if, I if, if the it. details were needed, the details would have been included. I mean, if you think about just that reality that in creating scripture and, you know, carrying the authors along as they, as they wrote, you know, they didn't write it of their own will, but they were carried along by the spirit. And as they wrote, they wrote what was necessary for faith and practice, not a, you know, scientific journal on here's how I created everything. Yeah. Genesis specifically, you know, the creation narrative in the beginning of Genesis is not a, you know, and this might sound controversial, but it, I really don't think it should be. Um, it, it's not a history book. It's not a science book. Um, and it's not any sort of definitive statement on biology or astronomy or geology um not that those things are can't be or are not present in scripture or informed by our reading of scripture but to say that genesis 1 is in some way a, a book on science is to completely and utterly miss the point um mm. and so that being said uh, what is the point i think is where we need to start it is what 
it's not a it's not a history book it's not a science book fine okay what is it I, and i think that it's a well i don't think that <laughs> it is a um it's a theological text that is revealing something about god and something about more than one something about god and the world and humanity and, and so many other things and it there's a reason it's at the beginning of um the scriptural canon and and that and it's important um but the question needs to be asked what is it that's important about this theological text recounting creation what is it that we are supposed to learn what's at stake and what i'm going to say what we're going to say is that what's at stake is not how we interpret the week of creation what's at stake is certain truths about god that are foundational and are the you know because they're foundational they're set at the beginning of of what we call the bible of, of scripture right. so the first thing which we kind of already touched on is that god is the creator this is the 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 nicene creed opens we believe in one god the father almighty the maker of heaven and earth of all things visible and invisible this is um essential to god's identity um god is the one who made heaven and earth all things visible and invisible um and you you know you don't need to stay in genesis 1 to see that but obviously <laughs> genesis 1 is where that's introduced it's where that's very clearly on display god's um identity and work as creator is incredibly important for a whole host of reasons that that we're not necessarily going to get into we're not necessarily qualified to speak on um but we have to remember that this is God's revelation. It's his written word where he is He is teaching his people who he is. He's telling his people who he is. Um, and that's, you know, identifying himself over and against other gods and other um, competing, uh, you know, I guess just idols in general, whether that's our um, view of naturalistic processes whether that's a canaanite view of of baal or or another deity from somewhere else like um however however whatever sort of you know viewpoint we want to talk about um we want to talk about it in light of god being creator and and i think that that's really important to keep in mind that not only is that something we learn in genesis 1 but that's the primary thing we learn in Genesis one. Would you say? Would you say that's a fair way, Jens, of, of yeah. framing it? Um, and I think that if we don't have that right, we're going to run into so many bigger problems than how long it took him <laughs> to create. Right. Um, that the conversation about the days and evolution and whatever—that's um, when it really does fall into the category for me of irrelevant is if we've missed what's really at stake, it doesn't matter what secondary positions we take and what, yeah. what secondary uh, conversations we want to have. If we haven't gotten the primary thing down, um, nothing else is going to matter and, and it be, and it becomes irrelevant, which is why in the very beginning, we're told that God created it's why at the beginning of the church's confession, you know, the, in the creeds, we say that he is the creator. 
Um, there's a reason for it. It's it's foundational to who we understand God to be because it's foundational. I mean, literally, <laughs> the foundations of the world rest on it. <laughs> um, I don't know if you've got anything you'd want to add yeah. to that idea. I mean, it, it speaks it speaks to the fact that, one, there is a God, um, and this God isn't some distant, um, cold, unloving being, um, you know, some, you know, there's a myriad of ways that people have talked about creator, about maker, about divine beings. Um, but right off the bat here in Genesis one, we have the Lord of the universe, the creator of the cosmos. We have Yahweh, um, being described as the one who's doing this creating, um, and so it, it speaks to who God is. It, it speaks to who we are um, because we know that we exist. I mean, we're not like, you know, in a matrix. We're not, um, you know, just some sort of, uh, you know, we're not just creations of, of random chance as, you know, many people would want us to believe. But we are um, intentionally created with a purpose, with a goal. And so it's in learning about the fact that one, God created. So someone supreme, someone above us created us and created us for a reason and so we learn a very early on in genesis what that reason is and it gives definition to how we then live in this world throughout the rest of human history and that's sort of been the the struggle i guess you could say ever since sin entered into the world of of not knowing this god who created us of, of not being in relationship with him not being in fellowship with him um being severed from him and it's through acts of uh, I mean, being born again of, of, you know, when God said, let there be light, it's, you know, I, I know people like A.W. Tozer and some other theologians have said like that act of creation is sort of um, parallel to the act of, you know, recreation, so to speak, where dead people are raised to life, you know, let there be light in this person's soul. Um, I think it says a lot, you know, again, more than just, it took six literal 24 hour periods to create the world, which maybe that is, you know, fun to talk about, interesting to learn about, but, um, what does it have to do with who God is, who we are, um, today? So I think, yeah, that's really helpful. Yeah, definitely. And moving on to sort of the next, you know, big primary thing I would say that we need to be learning from Genesis 1. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 3. Um, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. So just sort of stopping there. Obviously, I'm I'm cutting it off (laughs) in the middle. But um, the thing that we see in God's creation of the world well, heavens and and the world, is not just that he is the creator, not just that he is the supreme being, um, the foundation of all. He's distinct from from creation, yet he is responsible for it and intimately tied to it. But more importantly, even than all of that, not to diminish those things, um, is that we we see God revealed revealing himself as Trinity. God is um, God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We see the spirit hovering over the waters. We see God, the father. He's the one who's creating. Um, And we see that he is creating by his word. And we know that, um, you know, we see let there be light. God is speaking that creation into being. And um, we know that that word that he is creating by is Christ because of Colossians 1, starting in 
verse 15. This is, I think, the third or fourth time we've read this passage <laughs> or or the surrounding verses on this podcast. And we will read um, it a thousand times more. Um, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So, so we see the Trinitarian relationships, the Trinitarian persons working together in creation. Creation is itself a Trinitarian act. That's not something that can be tacked onto it or sort of, you know, just read back into it once we once we've decided we believe in the Trinity. But but even even in a more implicit way, perhaps. The Trinity is in the first three verses <laughs> of um, of Genesis, and not only is the Trinity present, but but that presence reveals that the Trinity is acting together. It's not just like, oh yeah, the Trinity was there, but Christ was the one creating, or the Trinity was there, but the Father was the one who was doing everything. The other two were just sort of watching, you know, or, or there with him. But we see that they're all active. The Spirit is hovering over the waters. The Spirit is present you know as the earth is formless and void and being you know being given form in creation we see the the word of god being what brings forth you know at first light but then also all the other things um and obviously this is originating from god the father as the one who is the creator the maker of heaven and earth and all things visible and invisible um and i think that again this is just something we have to get or else Nothing else is really going to matter when we're talking right. about creation. If we don't see God as Trinity, as Trinity and as Creator, um, then we're completely missing the main point of of Genesis one, which is we believe in one God, <laughs> the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth. And if we if we miss that again, I, I'm going to say it again, and I'll, and I'll try to stop saying it. We've just missed the main point, and the rest of the conversations aren't helpful. Yeah. Well, so it's really interesting. It it kind of makes me laugh when you and I have sort of come up with a topic and, um, you know, sometimes it's a week out, sometimes it's more than that. So we have some time to prepare. Um, but on um, on Thursday, my wife and I, we celebrated our, our four-year wedding anniversary. Ooh, ooh. And, uh, right, and I know you guys, what, celebrated five? Yep, five today. We celebrated a couple of days ago, but... Um, there you go. But today's our five years, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, but... One one thing that we always do for well not always but almost always on birthdays anniversaries holidays um, we exchange books with each other so like we'll we'll make Amazon lists and I'll buy some off of hers she'll buy some off of mine we're not supposed to look at Amazon until we exchange them but she happened to get me one that I wanted that was called um, God Dwells Among Us it's by Greg Beale and his whole thesis in this book is that. Um, we're expanding Eden to the ends of the earth. And so it's, it's a biblical theology of Eden, really. Uh, but he's talking about how in creating, he placed man and woman in this garden, in this sanctuary for a reason, for a purpose, to worship, to obey, to keep, to guard, to steward, all these things that, that man was charged to do. Obviously, when sin entered the world, all of that sort of fell and collapsed. Um, but even still, throughout the different eras, through the, the you know, the, um, the patriarchs of Israel, uh, Moses, and I haven't read the whole book yet, but he's been tracing this theme of of, of really Eden, uh, of garden, of 
sanctuaries as a place for for where we worship the the creator and um he i like he points out in the book he says we look like what we look at and um it's another way that he describes um, we become what we worship. He, he has a book called We Become What We Worship, which is a biblical theology on idolatry. Um, but we look like what we look at. And um, he, he's specifically relating it to um, how worship fuels mission. So the significance of the image of God. So in being created as male and female being created in the image of god which is this is sort of my transition to like the next point like i guess i should have made that clear um you know and talking about humanity in creation so we we talked about god now talking about man in creation man was created in the image of god i mean i'm pretty sure he says it like three times in in like genesis 1 27 then god said let us make man in our image after our likeness and let us give him uh let, uh, let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds uh, of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Like, and there's, all, there's a lot. Talk about another loaded verse. A lot of theological significance packed into one. But man was created to have dominion, to rule, to have authority over the creation. And like two chapters into the Bible, we see creation seeping in and deceiving man. Adam's job was to subdue the earth, to rule over all the creatures. And, you know, this serpent comes in and deceives and, you know, a lot more could be said there. Um, but uh, one of the points, one of the points that Greg Beale is trying to make in his book so far is that God's image in us is restored through our worship. Through Jesus Christ, the perfect image of God, we worship him and are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited to like keep going through this book. Um, but when, when talking about the image of God, what it means that we um, were created, male and female, both in his image, I think, you know, sort of speaks to, well, one thing is a unity amongst diversity, which is, you know, something we've had an episode about. Um, but the fact that man that humanity is both male and female, you know, united yet distinct uh, in a way reflects even the triune God who created them. I mean, it says, let us make man in our image, um, which, you know, when you only have Genesis, when you only have, uh, especially Genesis one, you might be like, well, what does that mean? Is God talking in like a sense of, you know, a royal we? Is he talking like as if talking to a uh, to himself? Is he talking to a, a court of, of angels who are his agents and helping him create or, or what? Well, we, we know that, you know, with the rest of the, the canon of scripture, that God is triune, that Father, Son, and Spirit are involved in this process. Um, but what does it mean that man was made in the image of God? Um, you know, I think this, this sort of connects a little bit to... Um, you know, our purpose for living, our purpose for, um, you know, why we are here, uh, you know, to, to, you know, to worship God, to love him, to obey him. Obviously, these are some of the things that we do as the creature. Um, but in another way, in a, in a real way, when we look out into the world, um, as I think John Calvin is famous for saying that the world is the theater of God's glory. So when we look out and we see the trees and we see the grass, the oceans, the mountains, um, it's, it's, you know, think, think about for a moment, if you've, if you've ever been to a play, when you walk in and you're seated in front of that stage, everything is designed very intentionally. Like 
more or less. You know, the person who's putting on this play has thought through what the set is going to look like, how the people are going to move and act and, and, and stuff like that. And so when, when we look out into this theater of God's glory um, created in such a way that, it, you know, it reflects a part of his character, part of his nature. I mean, that's what Romans 1 essentially says, like, in creation, his invisible attributes, you know, his eternal power, his divine nature, they've been clearly perceived. Um, and so as, as humans, when we look out at other humans, what do we think about other humans who have this image of God upon them? Um, you know, especially in a season like this of, of COVID-19, how we think about other humans um, when we consider racism, when we consider our, you know, our American history of, of slavery and, um, you know, segregation and just, you know, some of the things that we've been guilty of, um, we haven't done a good job of, of, of truly knowing, I guess, one, what the image of God means, um, but living as good stewards of this world. And so I think that that sort of speaks to, again, more than just how long it took God, how, how long it took God to create everything. What does it mean that we are created in his image? What does it mean that humanity has, you know, value and dignity, like intrinsically, um, and then as worshipers, as people who are, um, ha have been born again, who have been, um, you know, who have become a part of God's, uh, kingdom, what does it look like to live faithfully in the world? Um, I don't know, I know I'm rambling right now. So what do you have to say about no, the image of God? I think it's good. I think, I think that that really is the other big thing that we need to learn from Genesis one. And I think that, um, there, there is so much that could be said about what, what that does for us, what that changes, like you said, about how we treat other people, about how we view um, our role or our um, our worth as as a as a species, if you will. Um, certainly, our relation to each other and to God, um, and I mean that that in itself could be a whole series of episodes. You know, just just implications of the imago Dei, the image of God, but. Um, what's what I think is important for our purposes today is to just recognize that Genesis one is teaching us these really important primary truths about God and about humanity um, very intentionally. That's the that is the purpose of this chapter, and um, I think that to miss the importance of verses like one twenty seven is 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 potentially very dangerous, and at, at, at best it's just it's just missing. Um, what seems to be a very central point to the crafting of the creation account. Um, and I think that we can't really reiterate enough how important it is that God is Trinity creator, man is in his image, um, even as we're sort of stopping short of diving too deep into, you know, how does that impact what we believe about ethics or worship or whatever you know fill in the blank because it is intimately tied to, but these truths are intimately tied to man pretty much everything else <laughs> that we could talk right. about um which is which is why um we're, we're sort of leaving it as just like this is what genesis one has to teach us as, as these primary truths more so than fully fleshing out you know <laughs> how does a trinitarian christian upholding the image of God in mankind grapple with racism. That that's a that's a deep, complicated, very important question that um, Genesis one is really important to. 
And that's what we're trying to, to sort of say. I think that's a good example of just like, that's why we say these are the primary truths, both about God and humanity, um, that are the real focus and important sort of highlighted, you know, if you imagine that, you know, take your Bible and highlight verse one and highlight verse 27, like those are the, they're really like crying out to be noticed, you know? Um, right. And I think, so maybe this yeah. episode isn't so much about creation uh, as it is about in the beginning, you know, and talking about the reason that it, things exist. I mean, creation is, you know, obviously a part of that because things had to be created, but you know, maybe depending on how we title this episode, it might be misleading because people might think we're just talking about the process of creation itself. However, I think, you know, we've mentioned him a thousand times and we'll keep mentioning him, but Robert Lethem, I think, has a really um, insightful piece in his systematic theology about creation where he says that creation is an icon. It is an image itself um, because creation reveals God, as we've already said. When we look out into the world, um, Lethem says, though it does not bring us to salvation in our fallen condition, like creation, even though it reveals God, it does not do enough to save us. It does not leave God without a witness. There is a witness in the world to a creator. So even even those people living on a remote, distant island who have never come into contact with, you know, normal society or whatever, they're living out in a jungle, uh, those people are still without excuse. They have a witness before them that there is a creator beyond them. So we are left inexcusable. I mean, that's what Romans one twenty basically says. We are without excuse because of creation. And so creation itself, as as John Calvin said, is an image or, you know, the theater of God's glory. It's almost like a window through which we can perceive something about the maker. So when we look, literally, if you look out your window at creation, you know, I don't know where our listeners are sitting. I, I mean, it's kind of crazy to think about for a second. You know, we can kind of see around the world where people are tuning in from. Maybe you live in Arizona and you're like right next to the Grand Canyon. Maybe you live next to mountain ranges or the ocean or whatever. Um, looking out your window, you're seeing into a, a greater window, a greater reality as these birds, the trees, the mountains, uh, these things scream. They scream of a designer. Um, and even the gentle breeze, the um, you know, the, the tiny, think about the things that we don't see, the things that are, you know, in the dark, de deepest depths of the ocean or the things that are just too microscopic for the human eye. Um, yet these things are even but whispers uh, of, of something greater still. And I like, you know, we, this, this might be backtracking a little bit, but you, you read Colossians 1 a second ago as, um, you know, evidence outside of outside of Genesis here for what we're talking about. And I, I always think about John, like in the beginning um, was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then down in verse 14, it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us, which that word dwelt is literally tabernacled, which again, tying into that idea of Eden, uh, sanctuary, worship, the tabernacle, the, you know, the temple, stuff like that. So this God who was creator, who spoke all things into being himself came into creation and tabernacled or dwelt with his creation. Like this is, I mean, that's, that's why the incarnation, you know, we talk a lot about the resurrection, obviously for its important value that, you know, we wouldn't be here without the resurrection. Um, but I think that the incarnation is just, again, something beyond our conception. The fact that this, that this word who was in the beginning as creator stepped into creation. And I think that has a lot to say 
too about creation itself that that creator became man and dwelt among us and came ultimately to die and to save us to redeem us to restore us to our rightful purpose in why we were created like it's it's the whole story of the bible right yeah and that's you know to go back to what you sort of said a little earlier like i would say it's not misleading to say we're talking about creation um because i i i don't think creation is not the doctrine of how we interpret the creation week in Genesis one. Yeah. Creation is the yeah. doctrine of God as Trinitarian creator, man as the, as the crown of his um, creation and what that means for us in terms of incarnation, salvation, worship, like I said, ethics, everything, everything that we've mentioned and so much more. Um, it, it's, it's, you know, everything's connected to everything you know that might sound kind of corny or out there but like certainly when we're talking about genesis 1 when we're talking about creation um the idea of it being foundational to the rest of our understanding of god and the rest of our understanding of the bible i don't think is is too crazy of a statement when we when we look at the the ways that these truths shape how we understand later texts and later truths that are revealed um right and i think it's 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 incredibly important to, to recognize the value of creation um, as we see, uh, you know, reflected throughout scripture um, as well as the way that um, God treats it by being incarnated into it. Because um, not only does that show how he's treating human flesh, it also shows how he's treating creation in general. Um, because in order to have real, true, actual human flesh, which he did, he also had to have you know, live in the real, true, actual physical world, which he did. <laughs> right, to thirst, to be tired, to be weary, to cry, you know. Um, and so I think that I, I don't want to beat, you know, as as beautiful as this dead horse may be, I don't want to beat a dead horse <laughs> too much by just repeating ourselves. Um, right. So I think that we can kind of move on to, even as we're poo-pooing the idea of Genesis 1 Poo-poo. being being you know valuable as a place to debate about creation uh processes and methods um it it's not in 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 i was gonna say invaluable but what i really mean is it's not in it's not a non-valuable um conversation (laughs) to have so we do want to we do want to move in for the for the latter part of this episode to talk a little bit about some of the different you know views that people have for interpreting the method uh, or the mechanics of how God chose to create. Um, because it is it is a conversation worth having, you know, at, at the very least, it's interesting. Um, and at the very most, it is a theological position that is something that scripture talks about. So it's important, you know, even if it's not as there important. There are implications. Yeah. Like, y- yeah. There are certain things that, you know, obviously there are some theories that are just like, that cannot be true if we want to still talk about this God being the God of the Bible. But so there, there are some implications <laughs> uh-huh. and it's helpful, I think, yeah. to know at least what is held out there in the world. Yeah. So the way that I kind of wanted to structure this part of the conversation um, is I basically just have sort of a, you know, bird's eye view, flyover 
introductory kind of just definitions of just a handful of views um, that people have taken. And some of them are more interesting. Some of them are more popular than others. Um, I'm not really interested in giving too much of a defense or critique of any of these views. Some of them I'm, I'm not super familiar with, so I wouldn't be able to. Others, maybe I would be able to speak more in it, but I'm just not really... I'm not here to tell you what I believe. I'm not here to tell you what you should believe. Um, I sort of wanted to just, in light of these core truths we've already talked about, explore a little bit. Here are some of the options that are out there as far as things that people have taken. Um, and maybe this will spark, con- you know, sort of run through it, and then maybe we can see where that leads conversationally, if that works cool. for you. So, yeah. Um, and again, you know, not because we're sponsored by Crossway or Robert Letham, but we really appreciate his systematic and it uh, in many ways is the most, you know, currently and where I, where I am right now in life, it's the, it's the most, uh, it's the systematic, you know, work that I have uh, accessible to me. So when I have a systematic question, it's it's one of the first places I go. So this is pulled from an appendix he has on different views of creation. Just, you know, disclosure, you know, citing sources and whatnot. So um, the first view is, is sort of, we can just call it a literal view. We're talking about six literal 24-hour periods of time, um, followed by a seventh of rest. And basically... Genesis one is read at Genesis. Yeah. Genesis one is read as more or less just a prose narrative of what happened. Um, and this is based on a variety of things. Um, there are plenty of reasons that people believe it and plenty of reasons that other people don't. Um, it's certainly one way to read the text. Um, that makes a lot of surface sense. I would say like it's attempting to take the text seriously, by just taking it at, at face, face value, really. I mean, you're just reading it. Yeah. It, <laughs> it says day. Why wouldn't it mean day? Right. Sort of just taking what you, what seems to be the face value as what it's saying, you know, and interpreting it that way. Um, definitely a popular one amongst very, you know, people who hold um, a very high view of scripture. Um, I, I, have no intention of equating a high view of scripture to this view. That would be dishonest and disrespectful to people who have high views of scripture and don't hold this view. I'm just saying like in my experience amongst particularly evangelical Christians, this seems to be a popular view. Um, I don't, I don't know how popular, you know, I'm just saying it's, it's a popular way, pretty standard way. I think of reading might even be a majority text. Like you might, I don't know if that's, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I, it wouldn't surprise me, but I don't know. So I'm not gonna, yeah. I'm not gonna like again make any judgments on it. It's just that's sort of one of the views. Um, another view uh, is a view of instantaneous creation. Um, I don't know if this originated with Saint Augustine, but he seems to, in a couple of his works, um, I think his commentary, one of his commentaries on Genesis, and then also I think it comes up in City of God. He he uh, seems to advocate for an instantaneous creation um, where, I mean, you know, kind of like it says, like everything is created instantaneously. Um, the The breakdown into six days of creation and a seventh of rest is then seen as a more, more of a theological way of organizing 
the different pieces of creation um less than a chronological you know historical presentation if that makes sense um mm-hmm. and so this view was was really popular for a really long time uh at least in the west after possibly i don't know about the east um after augustine so that's kind of interesting um so so yeah instantaneous so everything being made like all at once as opposed to you know progression we well, you know, one day at a time or whatever um this is a view this next one is a view that used to be i think a lot more popular than it is nowadays but um called gap theory which is that the idea that there's a huge gap of time between genesis 1 1 and genesis 1 2 so in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth gigantic period of time you know millions or billions of years or whatever um and then then verse two comes in um and that sort of is meant to account for the apparent age of the universe that doesn't seem to match with a literal 24-hour week follow you know which would put you know the earth closer to like a few thousand years old uh, again i don't know the details uh, but the like I said, that view is not as popular nowadays, but but that was sort of that's sort of the idea of it. Um, di- uh, there's a another theory called day age, which is that the different days of creation um, don't correspond to literal days, but they correspond to like an age in time, a geological age, um, like we think like about a thousand years or a million years. Yeah, or like or we think about period, like just... the the Jurassic period, like 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 right. an age of time. Um, and so each day is is wh- whether it's literally like an even breakdown or or whatever. Like the just the point is that the days are actually ages that are that are being referred to as days. Um, and uh, then there's there's a there's a, a sort of a synthesis theory where you've got um, literal days that are sort of punctuated periods of activity in between long periods of time of 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 act of like more general just cosmic activity so it's like day one is an actual day but then in between day one and two is is this long period of time where things aren't Mm. happening um and then you know so on and so forth so that would that would account for both reading them as literal days with morning and evening in the first day, you know, um, and then also account for the idea that there's a much older universe than, than a normal 24 hour day week allows for. Um, there's also the idea that the days are, are actually like the length is unspecified. Um, so we don't have enough information in the text to like definitively say how long each day was or how long the whole process of creation took. But the text is instead presenting us with sort of like quote unquote days that are in sequence, but are not, uh, you know, of a specific length. Um, if that makes sense. Um, next view would be something called framework theory, um, which is a a little hard for me to like in my mind, this is a little more, uh, there's a lot more moving parts in this theory. So forgive me if my description is a little, uh, janky, but basically, there are um, 
so first of all, we we see this in in Thomas Aquinas, um, and this is also something that is held today with some distinctions from of how it has been in the past. But um, so we see we see like sequences of revelation that are sort of parallel to each other. So like in 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 verse one, we see creation. This is something that's revealed. Day you know days one two th- one one two and three are are representing distinction. So we've got you know, sea from land, light from dark. There are these separations that are happening. And then days four to six teach us uh, or show us adornment. So, you know, the light is separated from the darkness on day one. And then on day four, the, 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 the light and darkness are adorned. They're sort of filled in with sun and moon and stars. You know, we've got sea and land being distinct in day, during days one and three and one to three. And then in days four to six, they're adorned with the creatures that live respectively in the sea and the land and whatever. Um, there's also like a more modern version of it where you've got basically days one, two, three, one, two, and three and four, five, and six are, are two triads that correspond to each other. So day one matches up with day four, day two with day five, day three with day six. And we see that, like I said, like you've got, the sea is created and then later in the corresponding day in the other triad, the sea is filled with fish, that kind of thing. Right. Um, so again, what this does is it, it recasts the way that the text is structured into this theological framework of what God is doing in creation rather than merely the sequential chronology of how things went down, that kind of thing. Um, and then finally, the last one I'll talk about is, is an analogical theory where um, the week of creation is not this literal week with our literal days of, sp- of specific, you know, distinct unit of time, but it's God is relating to us and by analogy, his work week is corresponding to giving us a pattern for our work weeks of six days of work, one day of rest. Um, and um, the the sort of structure of creation as a work week is meant to be an analogy for the structure of our um, experience in time that God wants, you Mm -hmm. know, and, you know, why would God want that? Well, like we see in in the law, he, he legislates six days of work, day of Sabbath, you know, like, um, so that sort of, um, like I said, very quick overview of, of just some, some, uh, some views, like I said, some are a little more confusing. Some are a little more popular than others. I know I rushed through it. So I think now might be helpful um, if there's any sort of points you'd want to hit either on a specific theory yeah. or just sort of anything that came to mind while I was talking. No, yeah. So I'll say a couple of things. One, I really, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you pointed this out before we started recording. I really like the fact that, you know, Robert Lethem in his Sistheo has an entire chapter where he talks about creation. But just like we're trying to sort of say here, he he doesn't talk about these theories on how long and how God went about doing this. Like he reserved that for an appendix, literally what comes at the end of a book. Like here's, you know, a further discussion. But what's really important in creation, as we've said, is sort of the things we've already covered. And I think that one says a lot theologically about how we think about how God did create the world. You know, there, there is some significance, there is some, some importance, um, but you cannot, like you can be an evangelical, orthodox, 
faithful believer and have differences of opinion on how long it took God to create the world. Um, you know, I think it's really important to say that God created the the world out of nothing. I mean, that's a big part of it. Like he didn't use pre-existing materials. You know, I think that might be some a place where we have to be like, no, God created everything out of nothing. Um, you know, Revelation 4.11, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will, they existed and were created. There, that To say all things doesn't really leave anything else on the table. God created everything. Um, so that's, you know, an important piece of this whole puzzle in talking about creation. Um, but how it went, how, how it, how long it took, how it came about, I think is um, one of those secondary, if not third or fourth tier doctrines, really. It's not one of those essentials. And it's it's crazy to me because sometimes people talk about if you're not a young earth, six day, 24 hour period creationist, you're somehow like a, a big old heretic right, and straight up. you might as well be cut off from apostate. the church. Like there are some people who are who are that adamant about it, which I don't, I do not think that it's fair and right to, to say such a thing. And I think, you know, his published by Crossway, as you said, faithful, albeit, you know, reformed perspective on, on systematic theology, he decides to include creation as an appendix, which I think is really cool. Um, however, speaking more specifically to some of what you said, you know, personally, I have sort of wrestled with my own ideas of, of what I think and, um, you know, looking textually and, and biblically, not just at Genesis, but the whole scope uh, of, of scripture. And, you know, one of the things early on, when I really started to take my faith seriously, um, I was in community college and I was actually taking, I took two astronomy classes. So I had to, you know, I had to take um, science electives and I thought astronomy sounded really interesting. And so in taking astronomy, you know, talking about how far away stars are, how big galaxies are, um, how old these things are. Like, you know, again, on one hand, that's from our human perspective. If what we're measuring is actually accurate and correct, um, you know, I, I sort of wrestled with how do we account for the apparent age of the earth or the apparent age of our sun and the galaxy. Um, and so I've had different ways of thinking about how God, um, you know, created everything, like created with the appearance of age, just like Adam when he was placed on the earth, Adam didn't, you know, let's just say when he was made, he was, he was a man. He was somebody who um, was probably fully formed, had gone through what we would call, you know, human puberty, had grown and developed, but obviously he didn't actually go through those processes, though he appeared to have gone through them um, from an outward perspective. So he could say that maybe he looked to be about 30 um, when in reality, he hadn't lived through 30 years on earth and grown in the way that we think about it. And so that's, that's one way I've sort of thought about you know, creation as well, being created with an appearance of age with, um, you know, sort of set in motion, like maturity set in motion to, to sustain and to, um, uphold life. And, um, you know, another thing when, when I took that astronomy class and learning about how many billions and billions and billions of stars and planets and galaxies there are, it like, blows the mind. It absolutely blows your mind to think about how expansive the universe is. And even if we just want to shrink it down a little bit and talk about our solar system, so you know, our planets, um, the moons that are in our solar system, like those things are so far away, we cannot traverse from Earth to Pluto in our lifetime. And, um, you know, Psalm 147, uh, verse four says that he, speaking of God, determines the number of the stars and he gives to all of them their names. 
So like even just that reality in itself, that there is a God so big that he determines their number. So he created all of them. And at this moment, he knows all of their names. And at this very moment is also governing the process. Like he's ruling over galaxies that we do not even know exist that we cannot even see. Like there are things out in space that we have no way of seeing yet. They are there for no other reason, but to display God's glory, his greatness, his grandeur, his majesty, his holiness. And can you, can you even believe that we as humans will blaspheme this creator, this powerful, loving, imminent creator God? Um, it, it really just will boggle your mind. And so, like again, these are the things that really are important at the end of the day when we think about creation. Not how long it took, but the fact that it happened. It doesn't matter. Like, it happened, and here we are. And so what are we going to do about it? I think is, you know, I've, I've been trying to think of like, what are the implications of creation? What is, you know, if, if we're going to talk about, you know, Imago Dei, if we're going to talk about, you know, creation ex nihilo, out of nothing, if we're going to talk about, you know, Trinitarian creation, um, what does that mean for the 21st century believer living in wherever you find yourself living? And I think we've said it pretty well, what, what implications there are. Yeah. And I think a good way to wrap up in light of all of that is... Like you said, a lot of people want to, or not not want to, they do treat other believers as heretics if they don't hold to the same view of the creation process or, or the timeline. And in light of everything, I hope it's it's sort of clear why we so strongly disagree with that, you know, approach uh, or, or the importance being placed on a specific view of how long it took or what what way God went about doing it. Um, and I think that it's really a good way to wrap up, I think, to just reiterate how unimportant those things are and certainly not important enough to cast out a brother or sister in Christ, you know. And when we're, when we're talking about what's important in creation, we're not talking about six days or whatever. We're talking about that our our the holy trinity god the father almighty made heaven and earth and he made us in his image and that's to where have we, relation with him that's We're where we need to, to start his people yeah so i think on that note i think i'm happy to to close to, to close down now um i think i believe you have a prayer for us i do indeed it is called god the source of all good how fitting oh lord god who inhabitest eternity, the heavens declare thy glory, the earth thy riches, the universe is thy temple, thy presence fills immensity. Uh, yet thou hast of thy pleasure created life and communicated happiness. Thou hast made me what I am and given me what I have. In thee I live and move and have my being. Thy providence has set the bounds of my habitation and wisely administers all my affairs. I thank thee for thy riches to me in Jesus, for the unclouded revelation of him in thy word, where I behold his person, character, grace, glory, humiliation, sufferings, death, and resurrection. Give me to feel a need of this continual saviorhood, and cry with Job, I am vile. With Peter, I perish. With the publican, be merciful, uh, be merciful to me, a sinner. Subdue in me the love of sin. Let me know the need of uh, renovation as well as of forgiveness in order to serve and enjoy thee forever. 
I come to thee in the all-prevailing name of Jesus with nothing of my own to plead, no works, no worthiness, no promises. I am often straying, often knowingly opposing thy authority, often abusing thy goodness. Much of my guilt arises from my religious privileges, my low estimation of them, my failure to use them to my advantage. But I am not careless of thy favor or regardless of thy glory. Impress me deeply with a sense of thine omnipresence, that thou art about my path, my ways, my lying down, and my end. And I thought it would be fitting as well to again close with that that passage of Revelation. Worthy are you, our God, our Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Doxology Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you can hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at Doxology Podcast or send us an email at doxologypodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your questions, feedback, ideas for future episodes, um, and we'd love to connect with you in general. So don't be shy. Hit us up. We want to hear from you. All right. Thanks, guys.